Georgie, I think about food all day long, is something I hear pretty regularly. When I'm eating breakfast, my mind is on my morning snack. When I'm eating that, I'm counting the minutes until lunch. I understand this way of being, permafood brain, as I call it, is intensely uncomfortable for people. I know because I used to be as mired in it as anybody. My day revolved around food for a lot of my life. Even though on the surface, you'd think I had plenty of other things going on, the internal dialogue that I listened to all day was about just making it to the next meal. And even though we're allowed to think about whatever we want, including food, if constantly thinking about food is leaving you feeling empty or you have longing to fill your life with other things instead, it's worthy of attention. For me, it did leave me feeling empty to always be focused on food. In a similar way, too many hours spent shopping on the internet can leave me feeling like, ugh, I just spent way too much time on a superficial pursuit for the perfect jacket. Caitlin's email to me sounded a lot like she was suffering from permafood brain, so I wanted to get her on a call for the show and share it with you. I usually keep the real-life recorded sessions for only my subscribers, but I'm putting this episode on the free podcast so everyone can hear it. If you find it's helpful to you to get the complete picture of how a coaching conversation goes, subscribe so you can hear all the real-life sessions at georgiefear.com podcast. Now, let's meet Caitlin and see how we can help her move her life more toward the way she wants it to be, which isn't circling around food. This is the Breaking Up with Binge Eating podcast, where every listen moves you one step closer to complete food freedom. Hosted by me, Georgie Fear, and my co-coach, Mary Claire Brescia. Okay, so I have your email in front of me, but because people who are listening don't have your email in front of me. Can you tell me a bit about what's challenged you? What can I offer you a hand with? So I just find it very frustrating that my entire day kind of revolves around food. Um, Like I'm always thinking about food, you know, like I'm working and I'm like, oh, when it's my next meal and I'll look at my watch. And then, you know, if it's 3 p.m., I'll be like, oh, I can go eat soon. Like, you know, it's almost four, almost five or whatever time I want to eat. I I'm just like preparing for that time. Um, so yeah, I basically just like structure my day around that. And I, I don't want to do that. And Mm -hmm. I, um, also when I'm bored or when I get stressed, I notice I, I all of a sudden have an urge to eat, but when I actually pay attention to my body, I'm not hungry. So, um, yeah, it's just, frustrating, I guess, because I don't know how to get out of that cycle. For sure. For sure. Have you tried anything so far for either of those things, to be honest? Um, So I've I've basically written down two problems. So we've got like the structuring your day around food. And then the second thing Mm -hmm. is the eating for emotions. Yeah. So I noticed yesterday at work, it was just a very busy day. And every time a customer would ask me for help, I was I was kind of getting more and more stressed because it was just kind of piling on. And Mm -hmm. I noticed at one point I was like desperately craving food, but I wasn't hungry at all. So I realized, you know, food is not a very healthy coping mechanism. There's other things I could be doing instead. So instead of going to the fridge and getting something to eat, I, I tried something new and I just sat there. And when I was stressed, I took a few deep breaths. I calmed myself down a little bit, maybe had a drink of tea or something. And then I moved on and Every time I got stressed yesterday, I kept doing that. And then at one point I kind of forgot about food. So oh, wow. yesterday, yes. Um, but I find other times when I'm so stressed, I just give in and I just kind of eat whatever I want and I have a binge. Sure. It takes a lot of effort to handle emotions in a different way when we've got a habitual way that doesn't require much thinking. It's like, why would I choose this less automatic thing? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. One thing I noticed that you have tried is just to you know specify is that you're differentiating hunger and emotions when you want to eat. Mm-hmm. So that's already like a really good thing that you've been able to do. Um, and you were also able to notice when you were getting emotional before you were already mid binge, which is worth noticing too. Yeah. Sometimes people are like, I just find my, 
What'd you say? I said sometimes, not all the time. Fair enough. Some days we're, you know, can't win them all. (laughs) So some of the things that might be next steps that I'm thinking to talk about would be, so I think let's focus on the emotional eating part first, and then we can sort of circle back to like the whole day revolving around food. So you came up with some alternate things you can do for coping, like deep breaths, just sit there, as you said, make some tea. Um, Was there anything else that you can remember that you were doing at that point? Yesterday, it was mainly just the breaths and the tea, I think, but maybe sometimes if I'm feeling it, I'll go for a walk and I'll choose a different coping mechanism. But when that, that's only when I recognize it. And when I have the strength to actually choose the alternate thing other than food, because food is obviously easy. It's my my habit. So it's just the go-to. Mm-hmm. So why did you have the, you use the word strength. Why did you have the strength yesterday? I don't know what it was yesterday, but I was just feeling pretty good about myself. I had been eating healthy for, I don't know, maybe a day or two. And I was just feeling better. And I was like, you know what? I, I don't want to do a binge. I know what a binge will do to me. It'll make me tired and bloated. And so I'm like, I don't want that. And I, I decided to not only think about what I need to do, but actually put it into action. And yeah, I was really proud of myself, but I just, I worry that in the future, you know, I did it once, but will I be able to do it again? So I just want techniques to be able to continue it and stop binging. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got some good stuff here. We can build on this. So you noticed that feeling good about yourself puts you in the best spot to behave the way you want to behave. So this next question might make you laugh. How nice are you to yourself? <laughs> Not very nice, I guess. Okay. I find when I, when I get bloated or something, like I'll, I'll judge myself and be like, oh, I have a little bit of extra fat on my body, but it's not really fat. It's more just bloating. But um, I, I don't know. I judge myself a lot based on like what my body looks like at the moment. And mm-hmm. I, I like to pride myself on being like physically active and stuff. So I just when I binge and I, my body has a negative reaction to binging, then I feel worse, not only the physical aspect, but also like mentally and all of it, you know? Yeah. I don't know anybody that actually feels better after binging and there's been a lot of research on it. And at best, the actual minutes of binging provide a decrease in all sensation. So people don't feel as much pain or much pleasure. It's sort of like a numbing, but then afterward they feel worse than when they, than they reported before the binge. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the logic of it, you know, it, it's illogical that we can say, you know, I don't feel very good. Let me do this thing that reliably makes people feel worse. Okay. So feeling good about yourself helps you take actions in line with your goals. You can use that when the little mean inner critic starts piping up and being like, you don't look so good. You didn't do a very good job. Mm -hmm. That person probably doesn't like you. You know, any of the things that your inner critic says to you that are making you feel bad are worth contesting because Mm. it's not helpful. Um, I realize it's kind of like learning a foreign language. You can't just be like, I want to speak French and start speaking French or I want to speak Russian and start speaking Russian, you know? And most people can't say, okay, I'm going to be nice to myself and then pull it off. So Mm -hmm. you do have a lot of self-awareness. I mean, you were able to mention a lot of things already, like that you were able to tell when you're emotional, you were able to tell when you were hungry. So you can use that self-awareness to listen to your inner dialogue or monologue and notice the ways in which you're not kind to yourself. Like what are the things that you are saying or emphasizing or focusing on that are making you feel bad and look at alternates, you know, other ways that you can see the situation. And then I think it's also helpful to recognize that when we feel bad, we have the capacity to intervene and do things to make ourselves feel better. The trouble is that usually when left to our own devices, when we feel bad, we do things that continue to make us feel bad. Yeah. And when we feel good, <laughs> we do the things that make us feel proud and accomplished. So it's a bit of like a switching the track on the, tr- like switching the track that the train is on. 
be like, wow, mm-hmm. I'm really not having a good day. Here's where I need to do the things that lift me up and make me proud. I need to change tracks. Mm-hmm. So what sort of things make you feel good about yourself? And it can be really small. We're not talking like Nobel prize winning stuff, but <laughs> what sort of things lead to feeling positive? I find when I, for one, wake up early, that starts my day off on a good start. And when I wake up early and have maybe a tea or a coffee, and then I do some yoga or go for a walk. Um, so definitely like the start of my day helps me. And then mm-hmm. usually on those days I have more energy and I'm more likely to eat healthy because I started well. Whereas if I wake up and I'm feeling stressed, I have something big that day. Oftentimes, you know, my, my coping mechanism is to reach for food. Um, but then, yeah, so yoga, things like that, physical activity makes me feel good. And just being outside and in nature, going for walks. So I have a few different things, but it's just hard to always apply them. Yeah, I know it, especially if it's just not convenient in the moment, you're in the middle of a work shift. It's hard to be like, pardon me. I'm just going to do a downward dog right here. Like <laughs> Not always feasible. Um, So we can notice that like clearly you value health, you value Mm -hmm. nature, you value taking care of your physical body. Mm -hmm. Um, So think of small things you can do that you might be able to pull off even in the middle of a work shift. For example, if you can even step outside and like feel the sun on your face for a minute, that's way more effective than taking the same 10 seconds of deep breaths inside. So even like a brief nature exposure can do some good. Um, A lot of people bring house plants inside because the greenery, you know, brings some of that positive feeling indoors. And then Mm -hmm. usually you have to water house plants unless they're fake ones from Ikea. And when you water them, you're sort of like interacting with them. So I tell people like, notice your houseplants when you're watering them. Like take a second to, (laughs) this sounds so cheesy, like to actually be there and think about what you're doing. Like you're growing a piece of nature right here in your own home, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, Let's see, tea or coffee. Luckily those fit fairly well into a workday. The simple act of getting ourselves a warm drink, it's, it can be, like some of it we can attribute to the drink that it is soothing to have something that's nice and warm. And if we're dehydrated, the fluid helps. But then there's that second layer of I'm caring for myself. Like if somebody else makes you a cup of tea, it feels so loving, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. So and I find too, when I have here coffee, it allows me like if I'm wanting to binge, but I'm like maybe slightly hungry, having tea or coffee will fill up my stomach a little bit. So it'll make me think even less of food because the physical sensation is also gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So is this something I can get for myself that's loving and it's not harmful and it's pleasant. Mm-hmm. So some other ideas. Um, do you have other people around you during the day? Are you completely alone? Do you have coworkers? What's your social environment like? Um, there's a lot of guests at the lodge that I work at. And then I have coworkers, um, like a few, a few people here and there that I can talk to for sure. Okay. Do you notice that some interactions with other people leave you feeling good and some interactions leave you feeling bad? Yeah. Okay. Now, if you wanted to steer an interaction toward like, I want to leave this interaction feeling good, what might you do? Um... Like, what would I say to the person? Yeah. Or how would you hold yourself or, you know, the sky's the limit here. If you wanted to interact with somebody and have it be something that leaves you feeling good, what might that look like? I know I'm asking hard questions today. <laughs> um, maybe avoid conversations that I know will make me feel like bad about myself. Um, like if it's with, you know, Maybe I've had the a bad conversation with one person, so I know not to touch on that subject again. Mm, um, there you go. So, yeah, so just kind of like learning, learning how to interact with certain people, I guess. Yeah, the choice of topic. Um, yeah. I'll often ask people, like, how do you feel after you complain about something? Even if it's completely justified, most people are like, not great. It just doesn't feel mm. good. 
but smiling at somebody and saying good morning usually gives most people a little lift. Um, yeah. The simple act of smiling at a stranger even, like you don't even have to exchange words. Eye contact and a smile. Like if you try doing that with five people every day, you'd be surprised how like, it's, you know, it sounds selfish, like how much better it makes you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, also, if you work at a lodge and you're kind of like in the tourism industry, it's, you know, culturally appropriate to be extra kind. Like, is there anything else I can get for you? I want to make sure you enjoy your stay. You know, I don't even know what your role is and it doesn't matter. But, you know, I learned this working in the hospital because when you're seeing like patient after patient after patient after patient, it's easy to be like, here's what I need you to do. Fill in this form sign here. Get the hell out of my way. Um, but adding in little things like, are you feeling okay today? Did you have any questions? Is there anything I can get for you? I want to make, I want to make sure you're as comfortable as I can help you be. Like just like that little edge of mm. kindness warms people right up. And then they sort of like shine that warmth back to you. And it leaves everybody with warm and fuzzy feelings. Yeah. Yeah. I do my best. So it's, it's really only me and the chef right now. So um I'm the one that everyone interacts with most of the time and I I do my best to always say hi to people and yeah smile whenever I see them because I live here so yeah I'm I'm here 24 7 with them okay so think about that it sounds like that would be a new one for you to think about human interactions as something you can use to actually improve a negative uh feeling about yourself about your body about your life it it's powerful and underutilized the strength of an interaction with another human being mm-hmm. okay so we've got your deep breaths tea sitting a little bit of nature exposure if you can get it moving your body yoga or a walk is fantastic um communicating with another person we covered the next one um a strategy that i can give you is very helpful for when you can't do really anything in the moment and you have to look forward to a bit of gratification that's coming. So that might look like at least at 6 p.m. I'm going to take a break and go have a shower. Can you imagine how looking forward to something might make it easier to get through a, a tough stretch? So you're saying that instead of, you know, looking at my watch and being like, oh, it's almost 4 or 5 p.m. I can go eat soon. You're saying to have like a different thing to look forward to like oh I'm going to go for a walk at 4 p.m or something like is that what you're kind of trying to say uh yeah yeah I actually didn't the food part didn't even occur to me um I was thinking about like from the emotional relief perspective so like if the guests um are just being demanding work's piling up let's say your boss is throwing tasks at you you can't always be like well let me just go take a, a walk and make a cup of tea. Like maybe you don't have time. You really have to just keep operating and getting stuff done. You can think it's okay to get through this tough stretch now because at six o'clock I'll be able to relax. Mm-hmm. And your mind may use food as the thing that you always look forward to, but we can probably flesh that out that it's not just the you know, nutritive and energetic content that your body wants, but also that your mind maybe wants relaxation. Maybe it wants pleasure. I mean, like the taste of food is something many people find pleasurable. That is what I find. So like when I was in the university and I was doing homework, for instance, I would, you know, get kind of tired of doing homework and I wanted a break. So the easiest break for me to take was to just go upstairs and grab a snack because for one thing, it's pleasurable to eat, but also the act of eating is a break because, you know, when I'm eating, I'm away from my computer for those five, 10 minutes. So I think I, I use food as an activity to have a break. Yeah. Yeah. That's super common because many times people feel like they aren't allowed to just rest. Like it's not mm-hmm. justified, but eating being a you know basic physiological need feels like, well, I'm eating, get off my case. Like, <laughs> have to stop to eat right (laughs) yeah so what many people you know a lot of my clients I encourage them to practice taking breaks in other ways so some ideas one of my favorite is laying down like I'm gonna walk away from my computer I'm gonna go lay on my bed 
or I'm going to go lay on the sofa. Like I'm literally going to do nothing but lay down. Um, another one is listen to something that's pleasant. Like some people want to put on a bit of an audio book or just a few songs from a favorite playlist and take a moment to just relax and listen to the music. If you simultaneously want to move, you can do some arm circles or touch your toes a few times, but just that little physical movement break can be a really nice thing as well. Um, socializing, a lot of people will take a break to call a significant other, text their mom. Um, so even if you don't have other people around, you can take a break to connect with somebody else. Do you do any of those things or might you do any of those things? Um, sometimes I do lay down, but then when I'm laying down, sometimes all I can do is think about you know, the fact that I could be at my computer doing work or I could be doing this. Um, whereas I find with food, it's more like because you're still doing like an active thing. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't, you know, eat a bowl of soup and successfully do something on your computer without like spilling your soup. Kind of right. thing. So, <laughs> it's like, you know, an act that you can't be doing the thing that you're avoiding. Whereas with laying down in my head, I'm like, oh, I could be doing this, but I'm being lazy is kind of what I tell myself. Okay, maybe that would be a thought worth challenging. Mm -hmm. So many people, me included, we all sort of, I think everybody has some thoughts that work against us. I usually call them sabotaging thoughts um, or you can think of them as just unhelpful stories. And so um, here's one that I have and many of these come from childhood. So. I always used to be told, it's beautiful outside. Why are you indoors? Go outside. And I started to almost feel guilty if I'm like working or doing schoolwork or heaven forbid sleeping or showering and it's sunshiny outside. I feel like I have to be outside in the weather. <laughs> it's like a, a major source of guilt. And so I was like, wow, I, I want to correct this because there's nothing that says I have to be outside every minute possible when the sun is shining. It's also really enjoyable to stay inside sometimes, especially in the air conditioning when it's mega hot. So yeah. at first I had to notice that thought that I had internalized. And in this case, I know where it came from, but you don't even really have to know the source to say, okay, I'm changing that. Nobody says I have to be outside because it's nice out. Sometimes I want to go outside when it's nice out, but sometimes I want to enjoy things indoors regardless of the weather. And that sort of alleviated the problematic feelings. So many people share this one with you. If I lay down or take a break, I'm being lazy because I'm not doing anything productive. So underlying that thought, we have this belief that you need to be, quote, productive 24-7. Do you think that's completely true or might there be some wiggle room in that? So I, yeah, so rationally, I know, you know, you don't need to be productive 24 seven. It's important to have breaks and all that. Um, I just find actually taking them when, because for my job, for instance, like there's no hours that I work. I just kind of have tasks and the tasks need to be done. Like the cabin needs to be cleaned before people get here, or, you know, I need to check someone in at a certain time, but um, so it's like, I, I make my own schedules. So sometimes when I'm laying down, I'm like, oh, I, I could be doing this. Um, so I know that I, I need to take a break and that that's important, but the actual act of doing it is what's difficult. Mm -hmm. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's going upstream against some of your thoughts. Yeah. Um, so some ammunition, which may help is to recognize that not only are breaks essential, but mm -hmm. if you don't take them, they tend to take you. What I mean by that is people who refuse to take breaks find that they're checking out, zoning out, surfing Facebook, or eating when they're not hungry. Because your brain's no fool. Your brain is not going to run 24-7. Your body's not going to work 24-7. So if you don't give it breaks voluntarily, it'll just take them. Mm -hmm. Do you ever feel like that happens yeah, to you? Yeah, so I guess sometimes I do feel like I, I work myself a little bit too hard. And... Um, yeah, and I guess I, I choose food or surfing the internet, doing like pointless things, you know, for, <laughs> for a period of time because I need that break. But it's not actually a genuine break because if I want to break from, you know, doing bookings on the computer, 
then surfing the internet is not really a break for my computer because I'm still on the computer. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's a good point for sure. Um, okay. So recognizing the value of taking breaks also, um, I find it helpful to think about balance and it doesn't mean you're lazy to take breaks. That's sort of black or white, right? Like I'm either 100% productive every minute of every day or I'm lazy. Like does 30 seconds off make you lazy? Does one minute make you lazy? Like how much makes you lazy? So if we're looking for like, where does break taking become problematic would be where you're not getting necessary things done. And even then, it doesn't really mean you're lazy as much as it might just mean that something's in the way. You know, I, I know plenty of people where anxiety gets in the way of doing certain tasks. And so we have to, you know, work through that. But I haven't yet met a person where I'm truly like, they're lazy. I just think people mm-hmm. are naturally motivated in one way or another. Maybe they're tired, but um, so I, I don't know. I don't find lazy's all that helpful in my word. So um, I might think of it as, you know, I want to balance my life. And so that means some days being more physically active and maybe doing harder workouts, but also days I need to rest and repair and do easier workouts. And some days I need to, or I want to nurture my relationships, spend lots of time with my social circle, my loved ones, my friends and family. But then other times I may not be able to put as much time into them because I'm really working on advancing my career and doing a good job or I'm doing something educational. So it makes sense to want to you know, balance different areas of our life. And rest is an area where a lot of people shortchange themselves and you experiment with it. You can, so, so one of the ways that you can get yourself to take a break, knowing that you have some resistance to it is to think of it as an experiment. Like I am going to take a 10 minute break every single day for 10 days. And then I'm going to evaluate the results. And if I get fired from my job, because I'm not getting enough done, or if uh, the, the sky falls for another reason, because I took this 10 minute break, then I'm going to know it was a bad idea and I can stop taking it. But if you give it seven or 10 days, then you'll be able to see like, wow, potentially nothing bad will happen and it's actually good. Mm -hmm. So um, offering it to yourself as an experiment might make it more palatable. Yeah, that's a good idea. Because even with like, again, I'm very aware of all these things. I just find putting it into practice very difficult. So sometimes you know, I'm like, oh, I, I should meditate or I should do some yoga for you. Yeah. Even like 10 minutes, like such a, a short period of my entire day. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, maybe I'll do it for one day and then the next day I'll forget. And like, I, it just, I find it so hard to keep that. But I guess if you, if you tell yourself, you know, you're going to do this every single day, it becomes more of a routine. Yeah. Yeah. It does help also think about it as I, I want to test this out. Like if my job were to be a scientist, I wouldn't be able to get good data if I was just like, oh, forgetting to do my job and test out this variable. So I'm testing out the effect mm-hmm. of taking a 10 minute break every day. <laughs> For the sake yeah. of science, I have to take it. <laughs> um, and think about how you prioritize other things that are important to you. And practice using the same you know, reminders or accountability strategies for your personal goals. An example of that would be putting things in your calendar. Do you uh, have a calendar that you use or do you not need one with your job? So I do have a calendar. Um, I have like a two kind of two calendars that I use right now. So I try to put little notes in, in one of them. So I, I, I guess I could put in a time slot saying like every day at, I don't know, 1 p.m. I do this. Yeah. Yeah. So when we get in the practice of making commitments and keeping commitments, that's the second part here. You can't just silence the alarm when it goes off all the time. Um, we, <laughs> right. They're very familiar. We've all done it. Um, I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every once in a while I'll meet somebody and they're like, Oh, I have alarms going off all day long. I, I set six reminders for everything I need to do. I'm like, that's part of the problem. 
because if you have six reminders, you know you can just start throwing them away and dismissing them. So a better practice is one reminder and you treat it like gold because it's the only reminder you have. So you really do it. Yeah, um, I'm really bad for that. I have like <laughs> a million reminders. Thing. My alarm is always going off. Okay, so maybe consider- I actually did that for meditation. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I was just going to say, I actually did that for meditation at one point when I was in university. I was like, every day at 9 p.m., I'm going to meditate. I did it for like three days. And then after I, I silenced the alarm all the time, but yet it still went off for like two weeks. <laughs> so if you set too many alarms, it may be because you're using them for things that aren't that important to you or that you're not 100% sure you want to do. Mm-hmm. And then like if we're lukewarm on something, we're going to you know, there's a better chance of just choosing not to. So be selective with what you're working on. So I would say if you decide like, okay, I'm really going to take steps here to combat my binge eating and improve my relationship with food. And the one thing I'm practicing right now is I'm going to take a 10 minute break every day. Then when that alarm goes off, it's not just about, oh, take a break. It's about like, this is the opportunity I have to actually make strides against this goal I've wanted for a long time. This is about my life quality. It's not about, it's like, it's so much more than the break. This is about a binge-free life. Yeah. And that makes it mean a lot more. Mm -hmm. Um, And also if you see like the opportunity to dismiss an alarm versus act on it as a way that you build up or undermine your own integrity. It feels way harder to silence that alarm. Yeah, that's a really good point. I I like to be someone who has a lot of integrity, but I guess when it's, when it comes to myself and my own goals, I guess. um, Yeah. I'm like, Oh, I I don't want to binge anymore. And then I'll, you know, say that to myself for a week and then the next week I'll binge. And then Mm -hmm. I just feel like I've kind of, um, lost faith in myself a little bit. And I'm I'm like, oh, I gave up, you know? Right. Yeah. Self-trust is really helpful to have and really hurtful when it's limited, Mm -hmm. but we can build it up. You know, the way that people form trust in themselves is the same way we form it in other people through small commitments that we keep. So Mm -hmm. it's, the small part is really important. You know, I have a lot of, I work with a lot of people who will say to themselves, like, I swear I am never going to binge eat again. That's a really big commitment for somebody who's been, you know, binge eating weekly for 20 years, for example. Yeah. So just like you wouldn't promise your neighbor that you'll be able to clean their entire house in the next 30 minutes, because that's kind of impossible. You don't want to make huge commitments to yourself either. So like when you do make a commitment, you want to make sure it's something you can do. Like you can promise your neighbor that you'll walk their dog once a day when they go on vacation. That's realistic. So with the binge eating, I would make promises like I can take a 10 minute break every day because that is something you can control that you can push yourself to do. Um, and I wouldn't try and promise things like I'll never binge eat again. I'm a little too big. Yeah. Um, other little things like, uh, I've had a lot of people that started their integrity sort of building project with flossing their teeth or washing their face every day, just telling yourself, I'm going to do something and doing it. And the other nice thing is that you don't have to have a perfect streak to be building your integrity. You can, you can still keep your own trust if you do the best you can and you do it most of the time. Yeah. And that's actually one thing I mentioned in my email too, is that, you know, if I'm eating healthy for a week, like relatively healthy, I'm not perfect, but you know, Mm -hmm. I'll try and then I'll, I'll get a desire to have ice cream or something. You know, normally I would have maybe two scoops on a cone and it would be a little bit too much, but in that moment of desire, if I recognize it, I'm like, maybe I'll have one scoop. Or if it's instead of like a massive piece of cake, I'll have like a tiny sliver and you actually, I enjoy it more. So I'm still Mm. like appreciating the desire and letting myself have it, but I'm not overindulging and I appreciate it. 
Yeah. It sounds like that's a really good experience. Mm -hmm. So including treats in that sense is really helpful. Um, as opposed to I'm so healthy. I don't ever eat sugar. And then like, you know, you're nose deep in a big tub of ice cream two days later. <laughs> it's like super common. <laughs> um, but thinking like, yeah, I do enjoy these foods and I eat them sometimes and I really am mindful and pay attention to it and savor it. And it's lovely. Like those are great experiences to build into your life and your plan. Um, okay. So we talked about integrity. So, um, you know, I've made a lot of suggestions today. I'll make, I'll make a few more before we're done. Um, think about small bits that you can commit to and you can just take one at a time. Like for example, you may go for a week. I just want to test out what it's like to take a 10 minute break every day. And I may not continue it, but I'm going to commit to seeing the 10 days through because then I can decide after that, like, did it pay off? And the last thing I want to do is have you try something and not feel like it's working, but then feel like you have to keep doing it. Like <laughs> we want to hold our behaviors accountable. Like I want them to produce results. So if the binge eating is making you feel worse, we want to hold it accountable. Like you're not working. You are not boosting my mood. And so we want to take that same, mm -hmm. like, put up or shut up <laughs> attitude toward the things that we try instead. Like if I take the deep breaths and make a cup of tea, did it actually do me any good? Was it negative? Did I hate it? You know, like have a, I don't know, look at your outcomes, I guess is what I'm taking a long way around saying. Um, okay. So taking breaks. One day I actually did um, journal once. I had a really bad binge a few weeks ago. Like I just, I was just stressed and I just ate absolutely everything I wanted. Oh man. And like in large quantities and I felt horrible after obviously. And I knew I would, but in the moment I didn't care. But afterwards I wrote down on a piece of paper, all the negative emotions I was feeling like emotional, um, like, you know, physical, like I was just writing everything down. And it was a long list because none, none of it made me feel good. Um, so yeah, like recognizing it and yeah, so like writing it down really helped me because it, it allowed me to visualize how long the list was, you know? Yeah. It's also, I find sometimes listing things can help if they feel infinite mm -hmm. because we can see like, okay, it's not actually infinite. It's a lot, but it's at some point I'm holding the pen. I can't think of another word pad. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was a really brave move to, uh, you know, journal stuff down and write all the negative feelings. Um, and that was the case after eating all the things you wanted to eat. Yeah. So in, in that ex experience, it did not leave you feeling better. I mean, physically and mentally, I didn't feel good, but writing it down and recognizing it. Um, I think recognition is really important, but I think it's the it's putting it into action. That's even more important. Oh yeah. No, I'm in so the even after I just meant all mean, the, the food, all the food did not make you feel better. Cause afterward you weren't writing down how happy oh, you were. No. <laughs> no, I don't think there's any positive emotions on that list actually. Yeah. yeah. But getting it out, I get what you're saying. Like it doesn't feel good, but it can get you closer to the other side of it in like a resolution yeah. sort of sense. Mm -hmm. um, which brings up a, an interesting point. So when we're feeling negative emotions, one of the reasons that people tend toward uh, going to food, either in a binge context or just emotional eating, is they either have the belief that food will improve mood. And it's like the, the there's been research on like what expectancies correlate most closely with binge eating and having the belief that food improves mood is like so tightly correlated with binge eating. It's frightening. Mm. So that's one. Um, and then the other thing that tends to be going on is that people are doing it in a suppression or distraction sense. So it's, it's taking their awareness off of the emotion. So they're like avoiding, that's the word I'm going for. It's more of an avoidance tactic. 
Now, neither of those, so the first one would be, this food is really gonna help and I believe it. The second one is, I just don't wanna feel it, let me do something else. Um, and so what you did by journaling the negative emotions is just facing it, you know, like moving toward it, actually accepting them and opening yourself up to the awareness of them, which gets us to the other side faster than avoiding it for sure. Like whenever you try and avoid something, it's like follows you around. Yeah. So, so that, um, awareness, acceptance, you know, letting yourself just feel whatever you're feeling, even if it's like, oh my God, this is so incredibly shitty. Um, it gets you closer to moving through it to the other side. Yeah. And I think I, I think I do definitely use food as a form of avoidance because, you know, if the root problem is that I'm tired or that I'm sad or that I'm bored or whatever the root, um, the root problem is, you know, I'll cover that with food and use food as a distraction to not think about the root problem. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. So distraction is not all bad, you know, mm -hmm. in certain contexts, um, awareness or acceptance is not practical. So for example, if I'm, uh, distressed over a personal loss, like somebody I love just passed away and I'm thinking about accepting that and welcoming it in the middle of a work day, I'm going to be like crying on the phone when I'm trying to work. Like that's not, I need to avoid or distract from that issue to be able to be productive in the context of work. So mm -hmm. you can use distraction in healthy ways. The idea is to use distraction to temporarily get to a better time and place when you can practice the awareness and like let yourself feel the feeling. But if you need to avoid or distract to get through a work day or a, you know, a really painful encounter with somebody, um, there's lots of distractions that can work. So um, any real task that takes your attention will work for avoidance or distraction. Um, there's also lots of wonderful things that can be done on a mobile phone, like playing a word game. It's very sort of engrossing. It'll like get your brain into it or Candy Crush or any of those things. Like playing a game is one of the best ways to engage your brain so that it's less fixed on emotional pain. So um, do you ever do any games like that on your phone? I actually don't have any games on my phone downloaded, but um, like a, a word, a word search, like in a book or something, I think that would be really good for me. Nice. Yeah. A lot of my clients like coloring. Not everybody does the phone mm -hmm. thing, but um, coloring is good. And then many people have some sort of craft that they like, like crocheting or knitting or um, something along those lines can be really helpful. Um, I have a lot of those adult coloring books, so that's a good idea. Hmm, yeah. So those are perfect. If you want to distract yourself from something, you just get your hands busy, focus on the colors, focus on the lines. Um, and the urge to eat will peak and then diminish. So, and that's uh, what I noticed, especially yesterday when I stopped oh, yeah? myself is that the urge to eat after I had distracted myself with the breathing technique, the urge to eat went away because I didn't actually want food. I just wanted peace and quiet, you know? Ah, yes. Awesome. That's such a huge lesson, such a yeah. huge lesson. So that's really, really good. So when your brain says, or when you hear the message or notice, I really want food, you can respond with, okay, let me check if I'm actually hungry. Because I'm actually hungry. Yeah, food is the best solution. If I'm not, what is it that I'm actually after here? Because in that case, the food is just a symbol or a representation of something else. So as you said, a break, relaxation, pleasure, peace and quiet, um, those are all important needs. So trying to hit the nail a little more directly on the head. So on last... that topic, please. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say on that topic, I have this thing where like, if I wake up at 8 a.m., I'll have breakfast and then I'll have lunch at noon. And then if I wake up at 11 a.m., I'll have breakfast and I'll still have lunch at noon. So I'm just like very structured with my time in a really weird way, because I'm obviously not hungry at noon if I just woke up at 11, you know, but I feel like I need to eat at noon. Hmm. Well, I was thinking we would talk next about this 
tendency to focus on food all day. And like, you're sort of counting yeah. time down to the times when you're eating. So yeah. when that happens, cause it does happen often to people, um, there's a few things that help. The first one is make sure you're eating enough. Mm-hmm. If someone's underfed, like somebody's in like a prisoner of war situation, yes, they're going to think about food all the time. That's biology trying to keep you alive. So are you eating enough is a really important thing. That said, it doesn't necessarily mean that eating more will fix it. If inadequate food intake is not the problem, eating more doesn't make it go away. A lot of times it's more that um, we sort of, we need pleasure in our day, almost as if it's any other essential nutrient. And so do you have other pleasure in your life on a daily basis? Are there things you enjoy that you do relatively frequently? Yeah. Um, again, I would say like going outside cause I live at a lodge. So oftentimes I'll go and have my coffee outside or I'll just go look at the, the sunset or something. So I do my best to do that or, um, yeah, like talk to someone, have a nice conversation, things like that. Okay, cool. So when you notice your brain is like 97 minutes until food time, 96 minutes until food time, try and redirect it. So you sort of want to break the pattern by giving your mind something else to focus on. So you might say, oh, let's count down instead to my yoga practice or when I can go take a walk or something else. So sort of take your attention off of counting down the time to a meal, just like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I don't need to focus on that and focusing on other things that are going on, especially if there's something that's enjoyable right now, like you might be missing out on something that's inherently pleasurable in the moment because you're looking ahead to when lunch is. Do you think that yeah, ever happens? I definitely do that. Okay. Yeah, actually, that yesterday too, I was having a conversation with someone and it was a good conversation, but I kept thinking about how, you know, it was 4 p.m. and I wanted to go have supper. Like, but actually I knew that was ridiculous because I was having a great conversation. I can wait half an hour to eat. Yeah. Okay. So we're just tuning yourself back into the present moment. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to yeah. get there. I don't need to count down the minutes. Um. Let me see. I know I had another idea. (laughs) Oh, what would you like to be spending more of your mental energy on? Assuming that you were cured of the sort of perma food brain, what would you like to be doing more of with your brain? I'd like to have more mental energy just to like read, um, maybe more motivation to do yoga, things like that. Cause if I have more energy physically, cause I don't binge, then I have more energy to, you know, do yoga or go for a run or something. Um, so yeah, I would just like to have more energy. Okay. Physical and mental energy, I guess. So think about the perma food brain, as I call it, which is the tendency to think about food all the time as mm-hmm. I'm going to go back to my potted plant analogy as being like this potted plant that you have. And then you have another pot. And in that pot is all those things that you mentioned that you want to be spending more time and energy on the reading, the yoga, the run. And you don't want to keep pouring water into the pot that's growing the food obsession. You want to, when you notice that you're like going, like you feed these things with your attention. So when you notice you're fixating on food, you have to intervene. You're like, no, I want to spend my brain doing this. I want to spend my brain power doing this. And if I just want to rest so that I have more energy for later, then let me just rest and tune into the present moment and practice some mindfulness right now. Mm-hmm. Does that sound plausible or does that sound like too nebulous? That sounds like a good idea. I would like to try that for sure. Cool. I find... It's, it doesn't work well if we're trying to tell ourselves, like, stop thinking about it, like anything. If you're like, stop thinking about my ex, like you're going to think about your ex all the time. <laughs> so, so you want to give yourself something to think about instead. 
So I want to think instead about this active lifestyle where I'm doing yoga and running and reading and hopefully spending time with friends and let me put my brain back into that lifestyle, not into the obsess over food lifestyle. Yeah. Cause I do find I'm spending a lot of mental energy thinking about food. So, and yeah, I want to spend that somewhere else. So I, I like your, your potted plant analogy. Nice. So starve the perma food brain, give your, give your attention to the other thing. So when you are thinking about food, is it decision-making? Is it like, I'm going to have chicken? No, no, no. I want to have the salmon. No, no, no. Oh wait, I have this Mexican food. Like, is it decisions like that? Um, sometimes. So yeah, like, I guess if I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, I have all these things I can choose from. And then I'll, I'll wonder what I want to eat. Um, but I think sometimes it's just, it's the thought of eating that I like, like the thought of having that break and that moment just to enjoy something pleasurable. Okay. So I think you definitely should underline that one in your mind. Like you need more breaks. Yeah. You need more breaks. Cause if food is the only, you know, pleasurable intrusion in your schedule, like, of course, you're going to fixate on it and look forward to it. It's scarce. It's so scarce to have that break time. So if you give yourself many more breaks and you can even use that as your focus is like, what do I want to do with my breaks today? I can take a five minute walk mm-hmm. and I can do a five minute stretch later. And then I can invent an errand so I can walk outside and get some sunshine or take the trash out or something. Um, so you can plan that sort of thing. Like how am I going to take my breaks now that I'm going to include a little more rest in my life? Mm-hmm. so think about that um the other thing you can do that can be helpful when it comes to decreasing the food the reason I asked like if it's decisions all the time is because many people they do get caught up in like what am I going to eat like sort of meal planning almost and then they change the plan and then they're like oh but I want to use this and so they just keep you know fantasizing and changing the decision is I'll tell people just yeah. plan it out in advance what you're going to have And you can change the plan, but you don't change the plan. Like basically you only think about food when it's time to eat. Mm -hmm. So maybe you plan on having peanut butter and jelly for lunch and you decide to eat lunch at 12 at 10 o'clock. If you're like, maybe I don't want peanut butter and jelly. You're like, wait, we're not doing that now. We'll decide at lunchtime. And then at 1045, you're like, maybe I should use the can of this that I have in my pantry. No we're going to decide what to eat at lunchtime. We don't need to think about food now. And so you just keep telling your brain, like, we're not thinking about food now. This is not the time to think about food. 12 noon, now it's time to think about what I want to eat for lunch. If it's what I planned on or if I want to change the plan. But then what you only let yourself think about food when you're like actively deciding what you're going to eat or when you're shopping or menu planning because you sort of need to think about food to make those decisions. And then the rest of the time, you're focusing on all the other aspects of your life that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Sort of like. That makes a lot of sense. Cause yeah, at like 10 in the morning, I'll, I'll be thinking like, Oh, there's this in the fridge or this and I'll, but it doesn't matter at 10 in the morning. So I'm eating at 12. Yeah. So, yeah. That's it's not food decision time. It's not food yeah. decision time. Same sort of thing works if people have insomnia because they're thinking about work. I'd be like, yeah, it's not work decision time it's go to sleep time. (laughs) Yeah. It's not food decision time. Cool. All right. Well, I have thrown an awful lot at you over this last hour. Are you feeling overwhelmed? No, I feel, I feel like you, you brought up some really good things that I I would love to implement. Um, So not overwhelmed, but feeling positive about it. Oh, good. I'm glad. I hope I gave you some more ideas. You've gotten a really good start. I mean, like right at the beginning of the call, when you said, like, I know I'm not hungry, like that, that's such a head start. And like the experience that you had yesterday where I was like, all right, I'm going to try this. Like, yeah, it's not going to be easy because it's different than what I've done previously, but it's worth it. That gives you the, Mm -hmm. the strength. Um, I think strength to make a certain decision is more like it's the motivation And your motivation can be boosted by recognizing the pros and cons of the different, um, you know, options. 
So I would think about it like, it's not that you have strength or weakness that determines whether you binge or not. It's whether you have strong motivation or whether you're having trouble finding that strong motivation, in which case you just need to draw your attention to it. Like thinking about how uncomfortable it is after you binge, thinking that you feel good when you do, you know, these things that make you feel healthy, waking up early, tea, coffee, yoga, walk, nature, etc. cetera. Um, so in that case, like you can always make yourself connected to your strong motivation so that you're never without it. Mm-hmm. Now, I, now I feel like a motivational speaker. <laughs> you're good at it. Awesome. Any other questions uh, that you want to ask me? Okay. So I guess that one thing I brought up about just like that, the stupid, like, you know, I need to eat at 12. I need to eat at, I don't know, four or five. Like, do you have any techniques to get out of like that structured thing? Yeah. I would want to ask back like, or what, what's the fear? Like I need to, or what, is there something that like, or I'll pass out or do you have any ideas? Cause I know nothing would happen. Like if I don't eat at 12, when I woke up at 11, you know, I know nothing bad will happen. Um, in fact, if I eat at 12, I'll just overeat and feel full. Is it a lost opportunity to eat? Like, is that only when you can take your lunch break or can you take a lunch break at one, two, three? Anytime. Okay. I think it's more like the fact that I, I, you know, I look forward to food so much that I'm like, oh, at 4 PM, I I have this, this time set that I can look forward to it. So maybe it's like, you know, now I have to miss lunch because I just woke up at 11. Yeah, I would think about, you know, kind of like bathing yourself in the fact that you can eat whenever you want. That yeah. Nobody is like putting a lock on the cabinet. And many times yeah. people have to reestablish the feeling of food abundance and freedom. Because if you've been like dieting for years, or some people grew up in homes where like their parents actually limited how much they could eat. And so they're like, ah. but like, just take a minute, like I'm an adult. I have a car and a wallet and the internet. I can get any food. (laughs) Like there's so much food that I can access it. So can I eat or can't I eat is almost a moot point. The question is like, when do I want to eat? Like when will I feel best? And if I just had breakfast at 11, I will probably feel best eating when I get hungry again, which for most people is going to be four or five hours after their last meal. So why don't I just Mm -hmm. wait and see? because I'll be able to eat if I'm hungry at one, I'll be able to eat if I'm hungry at two and just try and like, um, I find a lot of people get more comfortable with eating. Like it's generally a positive thing when we can organize people's eating with their hunger signals. Mm-hmm. So it also can be a very good, if you get in the habit of just eating when you're hungry, then it can really help with the perma food brain. Cause you're like, it's not food decision time. I'm not hungry. And then when your stomach growls, you're like, yes all right, what do I want to have? (laughs) So you start to have this like positive connotation with your hunger signal showing up because then you're like, awesome, body's ready for food. Mind's ready to think about what I'm going to have. I'm going to enjoy it. And then food's going to be off my mind until my body tells me I need more food. Yeah. So that's a good point. Yeah. Listening to hunger signals and then acting on them instead of acting on the, the times I've set in my brain. Yeah. And you may find that the times you've set in your brain coincide with your hunger signals some or all of the time um but you can again do it like an observation like if you eat your normal breakfast you might be like let me just see when i feel physical hunger because if you're feeling physical hunger at 10 and you're just making yourself wait until noon that's not helpful that's the opposite of trying to align with your hunger signals so if that were happening i'd say add more food to your breakfast if you want to eat your lunch later um or just eat something at 10 o'clock and then, yeah. you know, plan to eat after that. But yeah, typically we don't want to ignore our hunger signals. We want to respond to them and then, mm-hmm. you know, try and also honor them as like, that's the signal that we want before we eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's a good tip. Thank you. Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. Well, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. The podcast is super, super useful. I always listen to it when I'm working, like cleaning cabins and stuff. So thank you. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to help out. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Great to meet you. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye. So did anything from Caitlin's experience sound familiar to you? I bet it did. 
After all, one of the things that my clients and listeners say to me often is that they hear themselves in the other people's stories. I think we are all a lot more alike than we are different. I'd love to hear if some of the content in this episode is particularly helpful to you. And please consider leaving a review of the show or telling someone you know about it. To get in touch, drop me an email at georgiefear at gmail.com. <laughs>